Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mekadon here with my co-host, V. Mama mentality for life. Today is April 30th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you can be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. On today's show, we have a very, very special guest. We call him Luke. Luke Fickle is in the house, the head coach of University of Cincinnati football. He will join us to talk about all things football, his playing days at Ohio State, even before that, a wrestler in high school, and also how he's talking to his players about social distancing, the difference between John Cooper, Urban Meyer, and of course, Jim Trestle, and so much more. Also, we will do a news and notes segment, and V and I touch on a lot of different things from the NBA, considering opening back up, some of these IG battles, the Bone Thugs and Harmony and 3-6 Mafia are going to do one, and also many, many more things. Don't forget, if you sign up on Patreon, you will get our episodes a night early on Wednesdays. Check it out, www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Let's go! Where the Pilot Boys at? You are listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. As you can see, we are here with a very, very special guest, current head football coach for University of Cincinnati Bearcats, Luke Fickle. Luke, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. This is uh, this is awesome, man. We uh, obviously, you and I went to the same high school, and we went to the same college, and uh, obviously, uh, so we share a lot of those things in common. But you know, we didn't even really get to know each other probably as well as we do now until later, you know, and, um, you know, we've watched your career. Obviously I watched your career as, as a walk on, you were, I think a grad assistant at that time. Yep. And um, obviously I've just seen you grow to immense heights since that point in time, not even just locally in Ohio, but also just nationally as a national name. So we have a lot of things that we want to talk to you about. V's going to jump right in and kind of take us back a little bit. Yeah. Right, be- hold on. Before you go, did, did he tell you how much older he is than me? <laughs> <laughs> no okay well i won't go there then i know how some guys don't like people to know their age don't let yeah, that little gray don't yeah, let that yeah, little gray that. i know you shave yours off to let people can't see it don't let that fool you guys oh man hilarious uh, the the quarantine beers are showing showing our age right i know sure. i know <laughs> um wanted to go back to to the sales um and and your time there right you were you're known as a, a football coach and a football player but at DeSales, you were one of the best wrestlers that the state has ever seen. <laughs> yep. I think you were a three-time state champion. Was that ever like a, a, a tough decision or w- deciding between football and wrestling at the college level for you? Oh, it definitely was. I mean, uh, it's kind of unique this time right here. Now, I don't mean to get off your question. I'll get back to it. But everybody's, you know, in this quarantine, there's a lot of things, a lot of time, right? And the newest thing out there um, for sports is the Michael Jordan, the run, the, you know, their, their new, um, I forget what it's called. The, uh, you guys, uh, the last last dance, dance. the last dance. There you go. I'm sorry. I actually watched the other night for a lot of people. That's their time. So what it's done for me is it's made me, um, reflect back and I've been able to, uh, take a look back at a lot of the wrestling stuff. So Michael Mm -hmm. Jordan was a lot of people's idol. Uh, mine was Dan Gable. So the last uh, week or so, I've been watching documentaries on Dan Gable and all the things that I grew up with because of wrestling. 
um, which has been a big part of it. So, uh, you know, yes, wrestling was a big part of what it is I was doing. Uh, and it was, it helped me make a decision on where I was going to go too. Cause I didn't want to give up wrestling. I knew I wanted to at least have an opportunity to try it and work with it. Um, and even at that time, there weren't nearly as many colleges, not to say wouldn't allow you because in recruiting, they'll tell you just about anything in order to get you. Um, right. But there weren't all as many of the schools that still wrestled at the time. So uh, I went to college with the idea that this is going to be something I'm going to do and, and uh, I'm going to try and do both. And let's talk about wrestling for a second, too, because, you know, I feel like it's it's one of those sports that, you know, first of all, you know, at the sales, the wrestlers were like the toughest dudes in there, you know, and, and how do you feel like wrestling, if at all, kind of prepares you or at least helps with like, you know, with, with football? Oh, there's, there's a direct correlation, uh, even more so for those guys that are, you know, linemen, whether O-line mm. or D-line, a little bit more with, you know, the battles, the, the inside battles, the leverages, uh, but there's just so many intangibles. I mean, I, I, I can tell you this, that one of the checklists on our recruiting is do they wrestle? And mm. not that they have to wrestle, right. but a lot of times the guy, whether he's any good or not, you know a little bit more about him, um, just what he's been through, how he's For been sure. able to handle, you know, kind of being in deep waters and, and by themselves and obviously getting uh, in a really bad, tough situation where you got to get yourself out of. So uh, all those things are incredible attributes that really, really help and lead into some, some, uh, some things that we're looking for obviously in our football program. And, and you grew up in Columbus and, and ended up at Ohio state, right? Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about what that meant to you as a kid growing up in Ohio to be able to then go on and suit up for the Buckeyes? Well, the unique thing for me is as it all started to unfold, um, I thought I wanted to get away from home. And to be honest with you, just one of those things, you know, you say, mm -hmm. okay, I've been, I've grown up here. I've been here. I've done a lot of things. Uh, at some point in time, I kind of wanted to, you, know, you thought that you wanted to get away at 18 years old. You thought you knew what you were doing and what you wanted to do. And um, it took me to kind of go through the process a little bit to realize that, holy cow, everything that I want was right here in front of me. And mm. uh, it wasn't just the football program. It wasn't just staying home, uh, but it was a combination of everything that, you know, made an incredible, it made it an, a great opportunity uh, and has been something that shaped my life uh, today. Listen. Let's talk about that, too. Your playing days at Ohio State, obviously, you played for some amazing teams with just ridiculous amounts of talent. Those teams in the 60s. Uh, was it 60s or 60s? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm done now. You look good for your age. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. done right. 68 now. I wish I was on the 60s. I'm 68, right? Yeah. Just so I'd have a national championship ring. But, no, when I was playing, it wasn't quite that early. Yeah, but in the, in the 90s, I mean, there are some amazing teams. Talk to us a little bit about that, your time there, any memories you have, any regrets. Um, obviously, there's, you know, I don't think we achieved what we wanted to achieve in the 90s in, in, uh, at Ohio State. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, no, there's, unfortunately, there's an incredible amount of great things. The, the things that, unfortunately, stick in your head are some of those regrets. Are, I went into that last game of the year uh, undefeated three of my four years. Mm. So three of my four years of playing, I redshirted one year. Uh, the first year, uh, but the other four years, three of them, we went into that last game undefeated mm. and didn't prevail. And I would say probably in all three of those ones, we had the better team. And, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes everybody's looking for a finger to point and normally the finger gets pointed when things don't go well at the head coach and the, and the right. quarterback. Yeah. And, uh, so those guys probably took the blunt of it, but uh, there was a lot of people involved in that. So those yeah. things, probably as much as anything uh what's always stick with you and 
you know, it has, has helped make me who I am. And when I was there, the kind of coach I was, and especially for that week. Um, but I think some of the greatest things now that I look at, and I try to explain this to guys, uh, I try to build it here as well at the University of Cincinnati, and it's about the people. And if you really look at the people that I was probably close with, and I was close with everybody on the team, I, we had a great team and a great group of guys. Uh, but if you look at that core nucleus of six, seven, eight guys, maybe the guys you lived with, the guys that you really spent the most time with outside of the, you know, of the field, it's amazing to look at what those guys have done right now. And I don't just mean they're all, you know, loaded or have lots of, but just elite top end people from um, guys that are running corporations and organizations and have their own businesses. And uh, it's not that everybody was handed the same thing. Obviously uh, one that easy to look at is Vrabel, who was a college roommate of mine for four years and right. I'll say 14 years in the NFL and the NFL head coach. Um, but every single one of those guys that we hung out with that are a core nucleus bus. There's orthopedic surgeons. There's guys that have their own businesses. There's guys that are doing far greater than uh, even the guys that might be, you know, a little bit more known just because, you know, whether you're coaching in college or the NFL. Um, but I think it's what we learned there. It's about how to you know, handle adversity, how to, if you want to be the best, uh, there's certain things that have nothing to do with talent that you got to be able to do. And you got to surround yourself with great people. Yeah. Um, so, I think when anything I look back at is to say that shaped our lives, my life um, made us be who we are, but the people that you were around um, really probably made me more of who I am. Uh, the type of people, not coaches, but also players as well. And do you think you realized that too, when you were there? I mean, obviously we look back and we, you know, we're older and we're more mature and we can like see what some of the lessons were, but do you think you realized like how big of a deal it was that when you were actually there and playing? No, I, I, I don't think you ever recognize, at least I didn't. I was, mm. I'm still a guy that doesn't live in the moment and doesn't reflect on a lot of those things until uh, they're a ways away. Uh, but it was easy. There's certain things. Obviously, you win or you win a national championship or you win a Big Ten title, then that's easy to recognize. Right. Uh, you know, you look at a guy like Orlando Pace, that's easy to recognize, <laughs> right, right, you know. Right, right. But those other things that you don't realize are happening to you, the things that you're shaping and um, the things that really are going to make you who you are and last a lifetime about, you know, just, just how you handle things, how you communicate with people, what relationships are all about, what teams are all about. Uh, all those things give you an opportunity to be a great husband, be a great father, uh, be a great leader, you know, right. and, and developer of not just men, but also people within your corporation, organization, and team. Yeah. One other thing before we transition into uh, some coaching questions, you mentioned Orlando Pace. And so now I got to get your uh, perspective. Who was the best player that you played with? Uh, oh. State? Was it? <laughs> I know you played well, with a ton of good ones. I, I love for you to say that who's the best player, because usually someone always says, who's the best athlete? Right, you know, right, and everybody right, wants right. to talk about athletes. We make it a lot easier when you say who was the best player because I think, yeah. it, you know, for me it makes it a little bit easier to say Orlando Pace. Yeah, um, yeah. Just yeah. as an all-around player, person, all those things. I mean, again, it's you're, I'm slighting some people. I mean, there's Heisman Trophy winners and sure, yeah, um, incredible, credible athletes. But I think all around the best player. It's hard to say that anybody was better than what Orlando Pace was in college. Did anyone ever beat him in practice? <laughs> so here's a great story you know coaches are, are they say the same things i mean whether it was my coaches uh you know 20 some years ago or even us now low man wins right you got to have leverage you know you talk about wrestling you understand leverage and low man wins and 
I would do a board drill with, with a guy like Orlando Pace or Corey Stringer. And for some reason, I would be the guy going backwards. And that's not supposed to happen if you're the low man. And literally, the only thing that my coach could say was, you know what? But coach, you said, well, there are some things that genetics just have uh, a greater impact on. And some guys defied gravity and things like that. So um, they didn't always, you couldn't be the low man and just win. So with that being said, no, there weren't many victories. And, and there was a guy like Mike Vrabel played 14 years that went against him every day in pass rush. And I'd be hard pressed to say I can remember one or any that uh, – yeah. He's somebody one of one. just beat just just beat Orlando Pace. That's right. why he's in the Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good reason why. Right. So, wanted to kind of transition now. Um, your playing career, you did get an opportunity in the NFL. Um, from what I've read and know, you suffered a major injury, um, <laughs> and it kind of forced you to evaluate what are you going to do with the rest of your life at twenty three, twenty four years old. Did you? Can you take us through the process of? of that time period, because it's something that all players kind of go through the end. Right. Yeah. And then how yeah. you eventually came to the decision to pursue coaching um, as your second career post player. There's probably not many people that careers, they make the decision and when they end their athletic <laughs> career, right. football being one of them, um, it made it a little bit, let's, let's get this straight. I was in New Orleans for a year, year and a half. It made it a lot easier to realize that your career was over when maybe you have an injury, yeah. I'm not saying that it would have been different, but it just makes it a little bit easier to realize that, hey, you know what? Um, I think we're going to have to find that way to continue, you know, your competitiveness and things like that. And I, I got to give it credit. I mean, the, the opportunity I had probably getting hurt helped me more than anything realize that this is what I wanted to be in because I never had a I never had a dream. I never thought I was going to be. I never had a passion to be a coach. Um, mm-hmm. I really didn't. I just remember my, one of my best friends, Mike, very able, uh, always saying, I'm going to be a coach. I'm gonna be, when I get done with this, I'm going to be a coach. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm going back to med school. I, I got this idea of being an optometrist. I, I mean, I had all these different ideas. Never thought about being a coach. And I remember laying there uh, in Wisconsin because that's where we were in camp um, with the New Orleans Saints. And, and just blew my knee out. And it started to just finally, for the first time, register in my head, like, oh, my gosh, if you don't have this, what are you going to do? And mm. that's when it hit me that all the, the people that probably had as much of an impact outside of my family on my life uh, were coaches. And just from Little League all the way up through, um, the guys I admired and respected as much as anybody that, that I'd ever been around. And uh, that's when it started to hit me, like, you know what, I, I don't want to stop playing this game. I think I'm going to have to stop playing this game uh, based on talent. Uh, but the next best thing is is being involved in, in coaching. And, mm. and I tell everybody, I, you know, every kid today, I said, those who can do. So those who can, they play. You know, you play as long as you can. So my right. dad told me, you know, those who can't, they got an opportunity to coach. Mm. <laughs> right. So whether you're not good enough to continue to play, maybe somebody got hurt, maybe your time just ran out. Uh, but it's the next best thing about being involved in those guys, those 18 to 22 year olds or whatever that age group you're involved with. But that youth, that that passion, that energy uh, and that competitive spirit. Yeah. And you're you're one of the unique guys, I would say, at least at Ohio State, who's had kind of coaching opportunity. First of all, with Co- Coach Cooper, mm-hmm. uh, also with Tr- Trestle and then also with with Urban Meyer. I mean, talk to us a little bit about that. 
what are the differences um, between, you know, kind of those styles of coaches or all three different styles of coaches? And, you know, what, what kind of things did you take from them that you think may, may help you now, even at the University of Cincinnati? Well, I was extremely fortunate um, in, in this career because a lot of people move around a lot. Uh, and, and you have to, it, it, just like anything, you, you got to get some different experiences mm-hmm. to be the best at what it is you're going to do. If you don't mm-hmm. know anything different, it's really difficult um, to have a better perspective right. on things. Just like if you've never been around kids of all different, you know, uh, of all different uh, backgrounds, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to relate sometimes. Uh, so for me, it was, I was incredibly fortunate to be, you know, at Ohio State for 21 years, I would say. Uh, and have the experiences of three different Hall of Fame coaches. Yeah, John Cooper is a Hall of Fame coach. Obviously, Jim Trust is a Hall of Fame coach, and Urban Meyer will be a Hall of Fame coach. Um, mm-hmm. And never having to leave there. Yeah. So my family, for for lack of better um, anything, that they didn't have to pick up and move, and you know, which is sometimes difficult on on all of us and all families, uh, whether it's just a coaching profession or any profession. Um, so I, I was very fortunate enough to, to be there and stick there and get to experience three completely different ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, all, no matter what, all first and foremost to be done the right way. And, and I'd say this without, you know, you know, uh, cheating or, or, you know, having that high, high integrity, all yeah. three of the guys that I was around and played for had incredible integrity and they all cared about the young men that they coached, maybe in different ways. Right. Maybe expressed it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some didn't communicate. Maybe some over-communicated. All yeah. in different ways. But deep down inside, um, they really, really cared about the young men that they were around. Uh, so right. for me, that was easy to see from all of them. Um, but three distinctly different, what I would say, leadership styles and ways to go about what it is that they do. Yeah. And, and you mentioned... Um, you know, obviously we talked about, you know, different styles or you mentioned different styles. And so that brings me to another point. It's kind of about recruiting, because one of the things that you've always been known for is being a great recruiter. And, you know, that's probably something that other people say. You probably don't even really know what it means necessarily. But I think at the end of the day, it kind of means how do you get people to get to your freaking campus? You know what I mean? And so yeah. so what, yeah. what do you think? What do you think makes you personally a, a good recruiter? And what do you think? Just about the kind of the process. Talk, talk to us a little bit about the process of recruiting, especially in 2020 now with social media. Well, I don't think it's changed. Everybody would say, oh, it's changed so much now. You know, it's, you got to be younger. You got to be this. You got to be that. And in order to go to South Florida or down to other areas, you got to be able to. No, it hasn't changed from the time I started. Um, it, it's about people. Mm-hmm. It's about finding a way to make a connection. Right. And, you know, everybody's different. And mm-hmm. I think the unique thing is, is you got to be who you are. Yeah. And you got to find a way um, to be comfortable in who you are and being able to communicate. And if you're not a people person, you can be the smartest guy in the world. You can be the best coach in the world. I, I don't know Bill Belichick. I would guess he might not be a great recruiter. I, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> right. the persona and mean. the look is, you know what, he, he you know, I don't know that he's as outgoing. And then a lot of NFL guys in, that I have met are that way. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a little bit more guarded. Um, and it's just, it's probably the environment that they grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the NFL in some ways. Right. Uh, it's such a business. I don't know. Maybe they get the connections. Um, but I think the most important thing is, is it, are you, do you enjoy relationships? Do you enjoy meeting and, you know, new people? 
Uh, do you enjoy all walks of life? Because some people right. get frustrated with, well, I, he's a prima donna. Yeah, I, I say the same thing. Yeah. But I actually enjoy all the different types of people that I have a chance to recruit and be around. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough when, when, you're a, when you're a people person or a guy that enjoys relationships and you build a relationship and you lose it because they go someplace else. Yeah. But you all understand it. it's a part of it and you're going to do it again. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is that it, it's, it's that you're genuine in, in a lot of ways. You enjoy what it is that you're doing and you got to have, you know, kind of, you know, you got to have a little bit of a, a passion for uh, communication and, and yeah. getting to know and, and, and listening and listening right. because right. I think that's a big deal. Uh, and I think those things go across all different kinds of barriers, whether it's it race, sounds like any other relationship. It sounds like any it, other relationship. Yeah. Exactly. It, guess yeah. what? It takes work. Yeah, it takes right. work. This yeah. just it just thought you know. Hey, well, you guys, you, you got good money, so I bet you, you it's your you and your wife have a great relationship. No, right, right, <laughs> no. Right, right, you know, right, right. You're, you're at Ohio State, so it's easy to recruit kids, right? I mean, you got all these beautiful things. No, no. I mean, right. If you can't communicate, if you can't spend some time at it, uh, if you can't be real and honest, it, it's you know, it, it's going to be hard to build those those relationships that that are going to last, and you know. When you get them in there, be able to to make kids uh, and guys uh, perform at the level they need to perform. Right. And do you feel like the improving technology makes it easier or harder to recruit? Well, I, I think that it with technology, it, it gives you a better insight. You you know, I guess you can get a feel for who people are. You can look at a lot of different things, whether what they post, what they say, what they talk about. Um, I think the thing that technology makes it more difficult to get relationships even me nowadays it's 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 easier and it's more convenient sometimes to text mm-hmm. and to send a message you know because you don't want to get involved in a, a long conversation for us and what we try to do more than anything you know whether it's been this situation with the pandemic or it, is to be on facetime with guys right and it was nothing more than just to try to make a different connection than a lot of other people maybe do you yeah. know, FaceTime kind of went by the wayside. It was, you know, when, when it first came out, even Nick Saban at Alabama was doing the, you know, the Skype calls and things right. like that. And it, it was just kind of too set up where now, you know, with all the technology, when we talk to a kid, we want to talk to him FaceTime just so that right. you can have a better chance to, you know, look somebody's face and, you know, see if they're even wanting to communicate with you. You know, right. yeah. you can tell a lot more by how they sure. look and how they act in a conversation based on, you know, what the uh, what the words are even saying? So, uh, both ways, technology can be good because you can learn more, but it also makes it a little bit easier to not have some of those face to face communications. Be- and before we jump into some of the, the Cincinnati stuff, one other thing I'm going to ask about the, about, about kind of rec- recruiting and coaching responsibility is: what do you feel like is the responsibility for a head coach uh, in recruiting, especially knowing that either they are looking for always looking for other opportunities or not necessarily they are always looking for other opportunities, but other opportunities are always looking for them, especially if they have success. Mm-hmm. What, what are your responsibilities as a coach in terms of communicating? Um, and if you do ultimately decide to leave, you know, what are your kind of responsibilities there? You talk about for, for us. Is it, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's one of those difficult things. And I think that's probably what uh, is making even some of this, um, you know, the, the, I don't want to say the likeness and, and all the battles to say what, kids should get because of what coaches are getting. Um, and, and it happens. Coaches leave. 
you know, mm-hmm. and so it does make it difficult on the programs and things like that. And um, I don't know that that's ever going to stop, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can say somebody, well, you told me you're going to be there right. when you broke your word. It's really difficult. I, I probably tell everybody the same thing that, you know, I truly believe that only one man knows exactly where I'm going to be and what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we're going to have opportunities every year here because, because of the success that uh, our guys are having on the football field, which right. gives us all other successes. Um, but I think first and foremost, your obligation as a coach is to be honest with people, um, yeah. to, to make sure they understand yeah. what your intentions really are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then you still have to, they, they know that the first and foremost for me is to be able to take care of my family. Right. And mm-hmm. sometimes I really get upset. And I tell my own coaches this, that, you know, a hey, coach says, well, I, I had to go because, I just had to be able to take care of, hey, take care of my family. And I always say, well, don't use that as an excuse. Right. We're in a profession right now that allows us, no matter where we are, mm-hmm. to take care of our families very, very, very well. Yes. You know, yeah. but that doesn't mean that it's still not the right opportunity and some sure. things like that. But <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's hard. It, it's hard to, to be honest uh, because you don't know what the future really holds. Yeah. Um, but either way, no matter what, you have an obligation to leave a place better than what it was when you got it with the right kind of people um, yeah. and with yeah. people, no matter what, around you uh, that believe in the things that you're doing. And I think that your program's a lot better, has a lot better chance to survive and move forward um, when all those things are done the right way. And, and one other thing, one other thing on that too, and you touched a little bit about the, on this earlier when you talked about Belichick and how he potentially relates, and not just Belichick but professional coaches, it's it's different, right? Because th- those guys are all pros, at least the way society is constructed now, and these guys are different. So how do you how do you balance that kind of conversation with these young guys, considering that you know on your side of things as a coach, it is a business. It, it works literally kind of like any other you know, capitalist fortune 500 company yeah. works, but from their perspective, it doesn't really work that way. How do you even balance those type of conversations either in recruiting or, you know, when talking about potential other opportunities or anything? Well, I think there's a distinct difference. And, um, and I mean that in, in just how things are done. Uh, we, I tell them, all the, I say we, we are evaluated as a business. I, you understand that mm-hmm. I'm evaluated as a business from, from the athletic department to the university, which is, Obviously, why you know the, the money is the way it is in college football, but I don't look at it as a business, and I don't want to change that. It's about eighteen to twenty-two year olds. It's about truly, truly. I know you say the same, growing men, mm-hmm. um, but I but I believe if we do things that way, if we take an invested interest truly in who they are, you know, it, it, we're we're not being selfish to say we're still going to get a better football player because of it. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a better team and a better program if we have those types of relationships within our locker room and with our coaches because we're going to get young men to play above their God-given abilities. So I'm not saying that the NFL coaches don't do the same thing. It's just a little bit different in the sense that um, to say a guy's not maybe performing well, you know, I look at it as, darn it, that's my job. I got to find a way to reach that kid a little bit more where maybe in the business world, you'd say, I don't need to reach that kid any different. We just got to get a different guy. He's cut. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Mm -hmm. I, I, I haven't been in the NFL, so I have a hard time speaking. I, I kind of say what, what I believe and what I see. I don't think that there's as much of a relationship league. Um, and it's not just because you know the player might be making two times as much as the coach. 
Mm-hmm. But I just mean in general, it's the other way too. The kid, know, the player that's making a lot of money also knows that if I don't do what I'm, you know, make the plays I'm supposed to make, they just cut me. They don't care if, well, they got some problems at home. My wife's pregnant or right. so-and-so sick and da-da-da-da. So I hope to believe that the reason you stay in college football is because you truly have a genuine interest in having a different uh, relationship and a different effect on people's lives. Right. You, you mentioned earlier um, the image and likeness changes um, that we're going to be seeing soon um, in the NCAA. How do you think that's going to impact <laughs> recruiting? Um, and then also, you know, how you recruit players and how specifically how you recruit star players. I, I, to be honest, with you, I have not spent much time thinking about it because it, it's something that's going to take a long, long time. Um, if you do things the right way about how you want to manage your program, how you want to recruit to those types of things, if that really truly happens. Now there's some of us that are sitting back saying, Oh gosh, I hope this doesn't happen just for the sheer fact of all the other things that it brings into the mix. Um, So I think that that's a question that, that would be really, really difficult. Some people could give you some, some quick, short answers, yeah. Uh, the reality is that you're going to have to manage um, your young men a lot different in their families. It's already tough enough with the different things that are in people's ears. Now, the other things, because I think when soon as money gets involved, and, I, and I've thought about this anytime I, I was at Ohio State, we had a lot of high-profile guys. I coached a lot of high-profile guys. And the number one thing that I said was I would never – get involved in that next step of their life. Because as soon as you add money, true dollar values to things, it really changes your relationship with people. Yes. And so I never got involved with any of the agent type of talks or guys would call you for all the autographs. Hey, can you get me set up with so-and-so for autograph? And I'm like, no, I have no part of that. Mm. Um, Only because I always said that, look, the last step I want to take is getting into uh, anything that has a, do- a dollar value because of the relationship I have with those guys, whether it was asking guys to come back and, you know, pitching to, to raise money from them. Uh, right. even, I remember they would ask me a couple of times about talking to some of the former players. I'm like, no, this, I have a different relationship and I never want to violate that relationship when it has to do with money. Now, if this comes into effect, the coach is going to have a lot different relationship with that kid and that family because there's going to be a dollar value behind a lot of different things. And I don't know how that's going to look. Um, and I don't know how that's going to go. Yeah. So let's talk about Cincinnati, man. Cause you, first of all, I think everyone knew that you were going to be successful in Cincinnati. So first of all, congratulations on the success that you've had so, <laughs> so far. far. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah, you, I mean, you know, I'm sure knowing you, it's probably not good enough for you yet, but you've been very successful there in all objective measures. Talk to us a little bit about um, what attracted you to Cincinnati. What made you actually accept that job? Because we know people on the inside know that's not the first job that you were offered. And, you you know, there are other programs coming after you. What was so attractive about Cincinnati for you? Well, I, I think it it's always starts with um, any coach that you ask is, you know, even when I was doing my advice, like, hey, what am I looking for? Number one thing is, can you win? Mm-hmm. And I know every coach takes a job. They be- if they don't believe they can win, then they're crazy. But, right. you know, I'm, there are some jobs that I would tell you, uh, I'm not saying I, you wouldn't take, but you would say, you know what, you 
you're going to have to hit some some really specific things to have a, a chance to succeed mm-hmm. um, just based on you know different things. So I looked at this as a place where I really, truly believed uh, we could win. Uh, mm-hmm. They had done it in the past. They had had some history of it. Um, you know, so they had shown that it was in a great area for recruiting, which I think gives you an opportunity to be really successful and be able to sustain success. Mm-hmm. For me, taking something as it was just the philosophy that I had that I wanted to go someplace where I could stay for 10 years, you know, right. just because of the family I have, I, I didn't want to go and continue to have to bounce around, to, you know, for more money and more titles. Um, right. So to me, it had to be a place where you felt like you could go not only win, but have a chance to sustain, sustain winning and greatness. Um, I think that the core nucleus of recruiting gives you that opportunity here, which is what's great. Um, I think the last and the third thing was probably looking into it and realizing what they had had in the past four years. Mm-hmm. Not that Coach Tuberville didn't do a good job. He won a lot of games. He won a championship. Um, but I really believe that our two leadership styles were a 180 and a lot different. I think that when you go into a place, it's really difficult to be very similar to the guy that was just there, especially if they weren't successful. Right. You know, and sometimes even if they were successful. Yeah. Because, you know, there's always needs to be some types of change. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like it was a really an opportunity for a home run to come in, make an effect quick, uh, already having a lot of really, really strong recruiting connections because of the state and the proximity to a lot of things I knew. Yeah. Um, you know, and then to be honest with you, you know, it, it is close to home. And yeah. it's always something that, that uh for my family was, was, was awesome as well. And, uh, you know, I don't know that I'd say we're a small college town family. I want my kids to, to have some, some experiences that are a little bit different, uh, be a part of some different things and a larger city and community definitely provide that. Yeah. Yeah, And talking about that, you did say you wanted to go somewhere you could stay for 10 years. Um, in Ohio, we're always kind of looking at Ohio state, right. And Mm -hmm. I think, we have a lot of conversations about why isn't there a second school that can kind of consistently be that other team that's always a winner in Ohio. Um, and I think Cincinnati has those variables, but it always seems like right when they get things going, their coach yeah. takes another job or moves on to a job that's they think has greener pastures. Um, you said this is a place you wanted to to kind of plant roots. And I think that that's valuable. Um, and I just want you to talk a little bit about the opportunity in Cincinnati. And we believe it's the strongest program that has the potential to be that program. And yeah. in your first couple of years there, you are establishing that. Um, yeah. There, there's a lot of those things that are behind that. And, and I think that's what, you know, for me um, excites me. It's the, you know, I know everybody looks, well, you're not in the big 10, you're not in the big 12. I know, and, and I truly believe that there's going to. They've had some opportunities here in the last couple of years. I think that there's going to be a lot more opportunities as well. Um, I guess what I didn't realize are some of the other, you know, not just money behind all those things, but some of the politics and the different stuff that is incredibly behind, you know, a lot of those things. And yeah. where the coaches don't have as much to do with things like that, um, I think no matter what is your ability to have some consistency, some stain, and, and a show a growth um, within your program is going to not just make your program better, makes your athletic department better, 
I think gives us an opportunity as a university uh, to hopefully have some of those chances, to have some of those chances to, to make some of those moves um, that, that not only better our football program or give us a greater opportunity to be on a bigger stage sometimes as a, as a football program, but really can help you know, your athletic department and your entire university in general sometimes um, be able to take the thing to the next level. Yeah, but there's, like you said, they've got to themselves to those points before, and and unfortunately in this business, you know that there's a lot of other opportunities out there, and, and you know Coach Kelly went on and and went to Notre Dame, and then Butch Jones obviously went to Tennessee, Mark D'Antonio went to Michigan State, um, and it's really difficult to sustain those things and continue to grow a program when there is as much turnover. Oh, yeah, it is. It is challenging, but it, it has to be kind of rewarding to come into a place where you can really put your fingerprints on something without always looking over your shoulder yeah. at the past and say, hey, I have an opportunity here to build something the way that I want to build it. I think leaving a legacy is a big deal to me, too. And, and there's no way you can do that in three, four or five years. You, you can leave an impression. Uh, you can leave a championship. You can leave a even a, you can leave something in a better situation than when you got it, but there is no such thing as a legacy if you don't have time spent uh, and and ability to sustain some things. And I think that's you know, that's important to me. You know that's important to me, and that's why you know I enjoy where I am. That's where I believe when we came here that it wasn't something that we had to go and win and win in a fast way and find another opportunity. Um, that's just not my general natural makeup and that's not saying because you have six kids at home and it's a lot more difficult to pick up and move a family of eight i think but i think it's just who i am and, and what's important to me yeah can you guys hear me i i, I uh I had a little yeah bit. okay all right cool so did you just ask about did you what did you just ask about vi i, I got cut out for it's, a second it's cincinnati and okay. he talked about leaving a legacy and the importance of leaving a legacy. yeah just about being able to do it over time and, and yeah you know, we've had some great teams here and some great coaches. And, you know, unfortunately, they, they've had some great opportunities that, that was better for them And at that time. And it's hard to continue to grow a program. You can do some good things, but to continue to grow it if, if you have as much turnover. So that seems that, that seems kind of like kind of a perfect segue into our next question, which is kind of about Michigan State, right? And I know there's some sensitive things that, and confidential things that you can't talk about. So whatever you don't feel comfortable saying, that's fine. But it's pretty confidential. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Good. Good. Even better. So yeah, I mean, obviously, it was widely reported like how aggressive they were to try to get you to come there, and um, you know, and there was a first offer that you turned down, and there's another one, and they, you know, and they finally got you to, to go to East Lansing, and and you eventually turned it down, and and it sounds like uh, some of what you just said at least kind of relates to why you did that, and um, so just talk to us a little bit about that. What, what was the what was that process like? Um, obviously. You know, Michigan State is a big job. It's a big name. Um, but you, you made a tough decision. What was that like? I, I don't know that it was back and forth with it. I think they, it was a tough situation for them and the timings of a lot of things. That um, So that's what made it probably a little bit more of a, you know, I guess there wasn't as much going on at the time because everything else was filled up and closed. Um, but, but, again, it, it came down to what was best for me and the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you – I love what we've got going in our locker room. Um, and to me, you know, those are the things that are most important. So yeah. you could say there's a million different reasons. And, you know, just like someday that when coaches leave and they say, well, I had to do it to take care of my family. 
I don't want to use my family even. Well, why'd you stay? Well, because my family, you know, I stayed because this was the best place for me, for my family, for our program, um, and, and for my future and career. And, um, you know, you're obviously it's a business and, you know, you're, you're evaluated on, on the business side of things, but, you know, from the inside out, that's not how we, I don't, it's not how I try to continue to look at it. So it's just not the dollar values of things. Uh, I also don't, didn't believe that it was the right thing for Michigan state, mm. um, you know, and just, you know, that was difficult because, you know, I had had a great relationship with Mark D'Antonio still do have a great relationship with Mark and, um, the things that was pulling at me were probably the wrong things is, you know, the ability to, you know, take over for what he has done and, um, you know, make him proud in some ways. And, you know, deep down inside, I'm not sure that that was the right reason to go, nor would have been maybe the right thing for Michigan State uh, in my eyes. So uh, it wasn't that I turned it down. I think I looked at it as, you know what, this is where I'm supposed to be at this time. And yeah, uh, this is a great opportunity. Well, the timing also seems ter- seemed terrible. I mean, honestly, for anybody <laughs> yeah. taking that job, I mean, I'm not to, you know, I'm not saying you didn't take it because the timing was bad, but no, it just it just seems as though it, it would have been really hard, like for recruiting. You already have your yeah. recruiting classes. You already promised guys stuff. You already got into winter conditioning. I mean, there's just it just seems like the timing is a disaster as well, well for them. And that's some of the things that you guys talked about about what's difficult in college football is. You know these coaches, they take off and they leave. And, and when you're when you're in recruiting, you got to understand those things can happen, and and, and they're going to happen. And because this has turned into such a big business, uh, then it's right. Then it's wrong either. You know, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, but timing it would be very difficult. And that's where you know to to look in some of those guys' faces and look into their eyes and. Um, not that I lied to him because I never told him there was a guarantee that I'd be here. I mm-hmm. said, look, I, I don't know. You know, right. I know what, what's important to me and I know what's important to my family. Um, you know, but the way you go about things, the relationships that you develop and that you're in and the things you find are really important to you. You know, everybody has got different things. And, and right. for me, it, it is hard to walk away even after year one when you know, there was an opportunity uh, I, or year two, not year one. Year one, there was an opportunity they were going to fire you because you were so bad. <laughs> but but after year one, year two, so and it was the same thing. I, I don't know that I could look some of those kids in the face because uh, of the things that we had done and, and the relationships that we had built. Right. And, and also, you know, I think with the media attention that that football gets, one of the things that's overlooked is we all explore other opportunities, and we mm-hmm. learn sometimes from that exploration itself, whether you take another job or move to a different career path, it's helpful to just have communication and have conversations, right? You know what? I, that's, I never knew that. And this is how incredible the people that you're around help you in, in different ways. I've always thought it was disloyal to talk to people. And I was at Ohio state with Jim Tressel and I felt bad because um, somebody was calling me uh, about a job and I, I, it's a coordinator job, but anyways, um, and I, I felt bad even talking to him, but I went to trust said, well, what do I do? And you know what he said to me? He said, you know what? You need to go look at it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean? You need to go look at it. Coach. I, he said, I'm just telling you, you need to go look at it. You go over. It was, it was a place that was close. Um, and I went over and looked at it and, and, and I came back and as I was driving back, I, I, I knew why he told me that because he would 
he knew I would realize what a great job I had, what a great place I was at, the things that were so special. Um, and he believed it. He, and he believed in what it is that he, his relationship with me, our relationship as a program. Uh, but he also believed it would be something that would help me in the future. Right. And, you know, and I think about that times when somebody, so my guys come to me and say, Hey, someone so wants to talk to me and you want to like get all pissed. Like, <laughs> right. Don't talk to my guys. And then, you know, <laughs> right. Right. I got to remind myself what we trust yeah. you. And, and, and he told me to go and he helped me to not only to realize how good we had it, but also that you're right. Some of those things are healthy because you got to see others to realize, you know, maybe even sometimes the, the special things that you've got. Well, speaking of that, I have two tough questions for you. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'll caveat them with this. I know that you're happy where you are. I know yeah. that this is a hypothetical, but let's just say <laughs> things go badly for the Ohio State University next couple of years. <laughs> they come knocking down Luke's door and say, yes, you are our guy. We want you to be Ohio State head coach. Obviously, you know, that's a hypothetical. Well, how hard of a decision would that be for you? And, you know, what would you think about something like that ever happening? <laughs> Well, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. If you haven't looked at the recruiting range and things that they've done in the last two and three years, uh, I think we're going to be all right. But, you know, I, again, those are those things that you never say never about. And, you know, obviously the, your alma maters in, in Ohio State is something that's always been special to me. Um, but you just, you know, you, you don't know. You don't know yeah. what things are going to happen and, and how things are going to happen. And, and not that timing is everything. Um, but even this past year was a really difficult time because I had a son that was a junior going to be a senior in high school. Yeah. And, and things like that that, that uh, you know, are, are really difficult on a family, um, you know, help you to make those decisions. Not saying that's, that's why you do it. Yeah. Help you to make a lot of those decisions. Uh, I think the great thing is, is I'm in a good place. I got a lot of great family that are still in Columbus, a lot of great friends, and, and to be close enough that I can visit every now and then sometimes even makes it better. Right. And you brought you brought up your son. How difficult or how challenging it was it to offer and recruit your own son? <laughs> it, it is difficult. And I think that um, you got to be really comfortable with the people that you got around you that you can mm -hmm. trust, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I never thought that this would be something that would be a good thing. Um, you know, and then I, I did some research on it. But um, if, it, if you if I hadn't been with these people. Uh, hadn't had Coach Crook and Coach Denbrock and Coach Freeman and guys that, you know, that, that you've got a relationship with enough that, you know, they could be honest with you. Because the last thing you want to do is, A, to put any kid in a situation where he can't be successful, um, right. let alone your own, because there's going to be some other things that go along with it. Um, but I think that's what happens more than anything. The toughest thing in recruiting nowadays is if all of a sudden you, 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 get, you put a kid, you get a kid, and you realize he's in a situation where he probably can't be successful – it doesn't do good for anybody. You know, they don't continue to grow and mature and, and enjoy what it is they're doing through the tough grind of a lot of things uh, because they can't ever really see a light at the end of the tunnel. So to have that ability for those guys to have, to be honest with you and have an objective perspective, uh, because just like any father, I try to be very subjective, but like any of us, we, we are blinded in, in a lot of different things with our own. Um, right. Sure. So you had to, you had I had to rely and count on a lot of these guys. There's no way I could have done it if I didn't have these guys that have been with me a long time. One other question too, uh, it, that the quote, quote difficult question. Uh, you know, Cincinnati 
fans, a lot of general, a lot of Cincinnati fans do not care for Ohio State at all, mm-hmm. right? In fact, not only do they not care for they, they vehemently dis, dis, despise Ohio State. So how does that work for you? Do you feel weird ever talking positively about Ohio State, knowing that in some ways, first of all, the fans don't really like him, and then secondly, it's kind of a rival in, a little, in certain ways, especially when it comes to recruiting and in-state recruiting? Well, for more than anything, I, I want to make it a rival. Mm-hmm. If we can make it a rival, we've taken this thing to the next level because mm-hmm. I mean, we're not we're not we're not denying it. I mean, there's nobody that's I mean, there's about three teams that are at the top of everything that they do, you right? Know, and, and who's to say Ohio State's not number one, whether they've mm-hmm. won the national title in the last two or three years or not? They're still right. Um, so for us to find a way to get in a position where we can make that some type of rival. Yeah, I think we are taking our program uh, to the next level. So mm-hmm. whether that's recruiting, obviously we did an awful job at making it competitive on the field this past year. Um, but that's where we've got to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there, there is a balance there. I think the great thing is, is that because it's my alma mater, um, I think anytime uh, you talk about it being alma mater, it's just one thing if you grew up there. It's one thing if you just coached there. Uh, it's another thing to say that that was your alma mater. I don't care who it is. Right. We could we could have a guy that's alma maters against our bitter rival, and and I would truly hope and believe that they would have something deep down inside for their alma mater because uh, it's different. And yeah. just like every one of these guys that are that are their alma mater is University of Cincinnati. I mean, they've had more invested in Cincinnati than I ever will. Whether yeah. I'm here for ten, fifteen, twenty years. Um, because there's something different about those guys that have actually played, uh, worked at it, scrapped at it, um, you know, yeah. and been in that situation. So I, I think they understand, but I, I definitely am conscious of it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't do a lot of stuff um, with Ohio State, you know, mm-hmm. in, in particular. Um, but it doesn't mean I, you know, there is obviously a, a deep down inside that watching and pulling. Uh, for all their, all them, and all their situations. So let's talk about the game for a second. You just mentioned that, I, I, and I know it's no, I don't know. I, I think <laughs> his memory tough. His memories are different. His memories are a little bit different, yeah. right? <laughs> Unfortunately, I could probably tell you about every play because there weren't many good ones, and I always remember the bad ones. So yeah, this would be I mean, what, how questions. did you use it though? How did you use it? I mean, I, I don't. We don't need to talk about the, the, mm-hmm. the actual. Obviously, game I didn't use it very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. You know, we all expected it, and I'm sure you did too it to be a little bit more competitive Ohio State. You know, sometimes games just get away from you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen that, and I show it as a coach, you've probably seen that even, yeah. even more. Um, do I think Ohio State is 42 points better than Cincinnati? No. But, you know, sometimes games just end up yeah. like that. So what, what did you see just from that game? What was it that you kind of took away from Ohio State, um, like, as a team? And then also, like, what did, how did you use that to fuel the rest of your season? Because you guys were very successful beyond, past well, that. Well, anybody that said that, that – before they weren't sure how good the quarterback was because that's some of the things obviously that I had heard through spring football. I don't know how good the quarterback is, and they don't right. played one game. Well, we 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 quickly found out that he's <laughs> right. a lot better than maybe even people thought. Yeah, um, you know, and, and again, I, I think at the beginning of the year, Ohio State, we didn't know how great they were. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew they were good. You knew they had Chase Young. You knew they had Jeff Okuda. I mean, they, they had great, great players, but you didn't know exactly what they were and what they were going to be with a new quarterback and a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. uh, we found out first and foremost that they were really, really, really good. Um, and then it, it's a tough matchup for us. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that because we're in state. I don't mean that because, you know, we've got, 
you know, a bunch of Ohio kids. I just mean that in the style that which they play. Mm-hmm. Um, they make a team that's not as good as them. Uh, really, it make it really, really difficult for them, and more so from their side of the, their defensive side. They make it really, really difficult on a team that's not as talented as them um, to be able to get much of anything going on on their defense on for us on the offensive side of the ball. So mm-hmm. you can say what it is. They scored a lot of points on us. Uh, the real mismatch came, you know, basically at how they play and their ability to not let us breathe offensively um, right. more so than even the chase young, um, just the matchup for us at that position, first and foremost, made it almost, you know, almost impossible for us unless some things really, really uh, fell our way. And, look, and you know, a lot of, and looking back at the season, though, I mean, that was one of the more competitive games that and challenges that Ohio State faced. Maybe the scoreboard didn't show it, but it looked like you guys took on the challenge and 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 gave it a real real shot. Um, and, yeah, and, I, and and that's where it, to me it was it was disheartening at the end. Not not the score, um, but for our ability to uh, you know at least move the ball enough to, to give us some positive energy. I think we could have obviously played a lot better defensively as well. Um, but that's where what they have a chance to do to you uh, when you're really good and you're aggressive. Um, I think that it, you know, it makes it difficult on a team that's a little bit you know below you. And I don't mean below you in any other way, just natural talent. Um, so, you know, th- that's where I think that, you know, it's very difficult to, that, uh, to play them, obviously, in that situation. Well, the thing, the thing that you guys did that was exceptional was even after that game, you guys went on and, I mean, you guys won 11 games that, that yep. year, right? Yep. I mean, so, you know, a lot of times you see something like that and those teams just, teams just fold and you never hear from them again. But that's not what happened with you guys. So that's why when I meant how did you use it, I meant, yep. you know, how did you build off of that and, and keep your guys motivated to end up with such a strong season? Well, it, it was actually good for us. It was humbling because, you know, we come off 11 win season the year before um, as opposed to the two years, three years prior to that, they had never won more than four games. So they had struggled. So for that first year of winning 11 games, I think our guys started to have a little bit of a pray. You know, they started getting praised a little bit. They started getting patted on the back just a little bit, not a ton, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some different expectations. And I think nothing more than what that did was a quick shot of humility um, more than anything. And I don't, yeah. it probably was better for us the way the game went, went than if we would have made it a really close competitive game, mm-hmm. like the year before right. uh, against Michigan. We would have had a tough time beating Michigan, but we were in the game. We right. were within 10 points in the fourth quarter. We had a ball with an opportunity to make it a three point game. Um, so I don't know that we got the true humbling experience the year before uh, that we got against Ohio State that. You know, was difficult on us for the next two weeks. We played Miami, Ohio the next week and struggled to start the game. We had a bye the following week where we were still licking our wounds and trying to figure out who we are and what we were going to do. And then that's when we got over the, you know, the the, the humiliation or something. Or or, I guess we really realized who we are and what we needed to do to be successful. So in the long run, um, the way the game went really helped us out. Yeah. And and speaking of, about that, you finished the season strongly, and now we're dealing with a rapid shift in probably your plans for what you're going to do next season, right? With the pandemic hitting um, and, and, and causing 
so many disruptions in so many areas of of life. You guys had a very, very strong recruiting class. How have you kind of adjusted your preparation for this coming season, the reality that there may or may not even be a season, but how has that, how has everything that's going on impacted your preparation and how have you been communicating with your players? Well, we, first of all, we never talk about there not being, because, <laughs> especially with 18 to 22 year olds, they can't handle that. So mm-hmm. we really, I don't know that I can handle it either, but yeah. I, I think everybody's doing what they're doing. They're doing virtual meetings, but I think for us, the most important thing is really taking the three and four week uh, period at a time, not looking. Uh, I always do this. We, we talk about objectives. We don't talk about goals. Goals are long-term things. Goals end do at the end of the season. I'm too ADD. Our team is too ADD in some ways to think long-term. So I like to talk about objectives and objectives are things that are shorter in distant terms and you can measure them on a daily, weekly, monthly basis as opposed to, to goals. So our philosophy is really to stay in that, that objective to work in three and four week increments. That way our guys aren't thinking, well, we got another two months of this or when is the time? And you know, they, they, are so subject to look at the end point of when we can get going as opposed to, hey, for these next three weeks, this is what we're focusing on. Right now, we're doing meetings, reviewing the spring and the season. You know, the following week, this week is, is you know, finals week, and we're just doing a little bit of things based on um, wrapping up the, 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 the season stuff. Uh, the following week now is going to be um, all based on football knowledge. So we're going to take situational football that we don't always get a good – opportunity to use with our guys and teach and learn virtually i'm going to teach something another coach is going to teach them an offensive coach is going to teach them to both sides of the ball and really just trying to keep them engaged keep them thinking yeah. about football keep their mind off of when's this going to start what are we going to do for the next so um always changing a little bit so looking at how they can continue to keep them in the football mindset uh but never trying to allow them to think about two three months and Right. All right. I have one more question and then we're going to do something fun. We'll get you out of here after that. Um, You know, obviously you're doing an amazing job in recruiting. You know, we, we follow that and that's not a surprise to us. Uh, So I just want to give you a chance a little bit to say kind of, you know, why should someone come to Cincinnati and why should someone come play for Luke Fickle? Well, I, I, right now I've got probably one of the best things is, is having your son come to play for you. Uh, I didn't realize, I mean, before I didn't want, you know, I thought, hey, you need to go and have your own experiences. But now I see what our locker room is really like, uh, the way that our coaches have made an impact on their life, um, mm-hmm. you know, and how strong that is, uh, you know, and I want him to be a part of that. So yeah. I think the thing is, is I'm starting to see here what I believe what is the experience I had in football and in mm-hmm. my college career. And that's not just winning championships. That wasn't just playing in, you know, in front of a packed house. It was all of a sudden creating some of those greatest relationships you'll ever have, those guys that you become so close with that all of a sudden in the long run you find yourself accompanied with really high-end elite people, Mm -hmm. um, which really kind of shapes who you are in your life. And, you know, you don't allow yourself to accept those average things that, you know, a lot of times the world can. So I think the greatest thing that we got going um, is yes, we got positive energy in our program. We've got an incredible growth, uh, but there's an incredible group of guys in that locker room that might not be the prettiest locker room in the country. <laughs> we might not have some of those things, uh, 
right. but they're an incredible group of guys that um, are very like-minded in what's important to them, not just now, but academically and in the future that you would want your kids to be involved in. And, and yeah. I wanted it so much that I never wanted my son to stay with me and play with me that I didn't want him to go someplace else because of what I feel like we've got going here, but most importantly, what we've got going inside that locker room. Yeah. Well, we're, look, we're excited about it. I mean, obviously we're friends of yours and fans of yours and what you're building over there is exciting. Obviously we don't want you to be at Ohio state. Let me be honest about that, but well, we don't we have one to schedule now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have to be in some type of playoff. So right. I would take that matchup anytime if we could actually get ourselves. hundred percent. I think I would take it too, to be honest. So, so honestly, you're doing a great job there and, and, you know, we're obviously proud of what it is that you're doing there. We're going to switch subjects though real quick before we get you out of here. Something totally off the subject. That's a little fun that we do every time we have guests on the show. Um, first question, tell us your top five musicians of all time. The so top five music <laughs> artists that influenced you that in, any time in your life or whatever, you know, well, then then we got to leave, we got to leave you out of it. Then you got to, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's like sure. one of those things. Like you say, who's the best athlete you're a player. Do you want me to take myself out of it? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Take me out. Take me okay, out. For all sure. right, <laughs> right. You know what? I, I, I hate to say I'm not as much of a, a music guy, but I grew up. Um, Wait, hold on. We saw you dancing in a TikTok video. Oh, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> my whole family has critiqued that, especially my daughter. So I know oh, that. I've sure. always known that. Uh, now, nah, you did a good job. That was fun. I liked it. I, I, uh, I don't have a whole bunch, to be honest with you. I, I've become a country guy mm -hmm. um, much more in the last probably 20 years. But it's amazing. I, I was that guy that couldn't tell you one single artist as a kid, but I could sing a lot of the songs. You could sing the songs, yeah. I could I sing know. the songs, but yeah. um, but I didn't know. So I, I would say now I'm I'm much more of a country guy, and I'm a I'm a Kenny Chesney kind of guy. Okay. Uh, I was a growing up kid. I was more of a punk rock. I liked the Billy Idols of the world. Mm -hmm. So you, you would go with the you know Billy Idol probably as a young kid. I always thought that the that the that the punk hairdo was going to stay in, in forever. <laughs> right. Did you ever get, my, did you ever get a country. What's Did that? you ever get the punk hairdo? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had this funny stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what, mm. I remember my teacher asked me. She's like, you really think that's going to last? I said, this is going to last forever. This is going to be the crave. <laughs> that's yeah. so funny. So, um, but I wasn't my, you know, I, it's yeah. so hard for me to, to you know, to, to really get into the artists because I didn't know them. Yeah. Well, we got one more that's probably okay. in your wheelhouse. Go ahead, D. Yeah, one more and then one A, one one moment. <laughs> That's gonna be fun. Um, your top five athletes. This one's probably easier for you. Oh man, you know I'm glad you you asked me who the best player was before because know <laughs> Pace doesn't go in the top five athletes, but it's hard to say who one is. And I, I will give you four guys at the top of that list that uh, I think it's hard to, to separate them. And I think you go Robert Smith. I think you go. Uh, Joey Galloway, um, Robert Smith, Joey Galloway, uh, Eddie George, go oh, all Buckeyes, and, and Sean Springs. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I played with with right. a bunch with some other guys a, a little bit, but but nobody that I would truly say were uh, better at. Now, again, you, you knew those guys a little bit more. You'd seen more things that they could do, right? So, um, you know, I, I think. And I, yeah, I think I look at the guys I played with as even better athletes than, you know, than maybe the guys I coach. So right. I, I, I throw, I throw Ryan Shazier uh, in the mix with those, with those great athletes. Robert Smith might be, I mean, he could have won the Olympics in the decathlon. Yeah, man. Yeah, he was I a mean, I mean, Joey realize. Galloway, <laughs> Joey Galloway is, 
incredible. I mean, don't ever tell him I said that because I don't think he needs it. <laughs> you know, um, Sean right. Springs, now that he's a little bit overweight and, and out of shape, I never thought he ever could happen to be that way. Right. But right. he was one of the greatest. And, 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 and Ryan Shazier, I think, would be right yeah. up there with him. Oh, wow. And and the last one, since this is paying paying tipping our hat to to wrestling, <laughs> if you if you ever were a WWE wrestler, what would your name be? Uh, oh, <laughs> I don't I I don't know, but I know this: I'd want to be on the NW. I'd want to be on the bad guy side. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. It'd be a bunch of years before you could convert him and bring him over. But uh, you know, I think I would like to be on that bad guy side a little bit more in the uh, in the. The Rock, I don't know, he's not really the bad, but the old NWA is is probably no matter what. I think that side of it. I'm not sure what the name would be. I think yeah. it's uh, we'll come up with tell. something. Yeah, as I say, <laughs> my creativity, that, those TikToks and those kinds of creativity, that's just not in my wheelhouse. Right. That's why I say, look, I'll do what you guys want me to do. I'm not good at, but my ability to to give the creative side. I got to put a lot of people around me that have that creative side because yeah. that's just not natural. Right. That right, doesn't right. come, that we, doesn't we, come we, there. We could go with not in my wheelhouse. That could be there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely yeah. not in my wheelhouse. The creativity yeah. side of things. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining us on Podways podcast. This is great, man. You know, uh, you're obviously, we wish you great success. And as we're going to continue following your career, um, even if you end up with the Buckeyes again one day, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But honestly, much success to you. And um, honestly, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Right, take care, man. Right. Good luck. We'll see you. Have a good one. Stay right. safe. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. And we have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast show us some love today you're listening to the pilot boys podcast episode 26 time to hit some news and notes v let's get it so the nfl draft was this past weekend uh honestly there are a lot of surprises um first of all i think just overall in terms of the format to me i enjoyed the format substantially better than any format they've had in the past i think it was more personal um, it was more just, you know, you could really get a feel for who the people were besides some of the crazy graphics they're putting up on the screen about some of the guys, his families. And like this person died off of an OD overdose. Like, five, it's like, well, I didn't understand that. But beyond that, in terms of the format itself, I thought it was great. And, um, uh, what were some of the things that stood out to you about the draft? Um, I think the same thing. I mean, we, we were exposed to a lot, the NFL's ability to actually put something like this together. Um, mm-hmm. considering all the different moving parts, um, they definitely deserve, um, a round of applause for that. Um, one thing that, uh, you know, wasn't the best kept secret, but also was exposed is that, um, Roger Goodell is, is not necessarily the most dynamic personality. Yeah. Um, um, but, and then also just having a live glimpse into, what actually happens um, for these kids the moment that they get drafted. And then also mm-hmm. getting a better look of, of all the people that are involved in the, like in the girlfriends, <laughs> <laughs> the girlfriends and the parents, the crazy parents and, right. and everything in, be- in between. Yeah. Uh, so well, let's talk specifically about like the actual picks and like, who do you think actually had a good draft? I thought obviously Baltimore, I mean, I don't care who you are. Baltimore had a great draft. Um, 
But we're Browns fans, and the Browns, they crushed it, man, as far as I'm concerned. I think they did a really good job. What do you think? Yeah, this is the Browns. What we were waiting for was the team to address the offensive line. Mm -hmm. Uh, They signed Conklin, and then they drafted who I think is the best offensive tackle prospect in the in the draft and just looking at the footage and 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 seeing this mammoth man move around like he does. Right. I mean Baker Mayfield has zero excuses. Um well also Donovan Donovan Peoples Jones. I mean I know obviously he's a you know a guy from team up north and he's underproductive, you know, underproductive. Wasn't that productive at the college level, but that dude is talented man and if they can figure out a way to use him you know, he can, he can be a weapon. He can be a third, fourth option in that office that I think can have some, have some promise. And he can go up and get the ball. I mean, something that's standing out, you know, we talk about the New Orleans Buckeyes. Um, the Browns are kind of turning into the the the, the Bayou Browns. SEC. Right? Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, I think also, I think the Bengals had a great draft. I think uh, Philadelphia Eagles did well. Um, besides the Jalen Hurts pick. But, I mean, maybe they, they don't – that. Shows they may not believe in Carson Wentz, you know. So I don't mind that pick if they believe that he could be their their future. And Buffalo's Buffalo's doing a phenomenal job as well. Um, Dallas, think, Dallas did a good job. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Dallas did what Vikings, Dallas. Arizona Cardinals. You know, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of teams that had some good drafts. Um, there are teams that had some head scratchers, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was salty when uh, J.K. Dobbins went to, to went to the Ravens, though. I can't even lie, man. I was like, oh man, that's. As a Browns fan, that's just like, no, come on, you got to deal with Lamar and now JK for the next 10 years. That's not, I'm not, I wasn't happy about that. No, no one was happy about that. But the, the Ravens, you know, are always going to have a great draft. You know, they haven't mm-hmm. skipped a beat since Ozzy Newsome left. Um, yeah. DaCosta seems to be, be ready to take over that job and shine as well. And I guess the last thing I'll say, obviously, on this draft, and I've probably overdid it on Twitter because I was just beside myself, is, KJ Hill going in the seventh round. I, I just, I couldn't even believe it, man. I, I'm watching this round four goes by. I'm like, KJ's still here. Round five goes by. Like, what the fuck is happening? And uh, he ended up with the Chargers, which I think could be a good spot for him. Uh, he has some competition with another guy that got drafted earlier that for the third spot, but I think he'll win it. And I just think that was just a big mistake by a lot of teams. I think that was a mistake. I think Jordan Fuller in the sixth was a mistake too. But I mean, mm-hmm. We talked about this a little bit with um, with with Jason. Teams didn't have the same ability to actually physically see guys, so they were going off of what they saw at the combine, which I think is a big disservice to somebody like KJ Hill, who didn't necessarily have the best combine. But all you need to do is turn on the film and watch his four years four years of tape to justify him being higher than a seventh round pick. Um, but I do think. We need to look at this draft and say, you know what? Guys are going to get opportunities. They might get drafted late, but at least he's on a roster and in a good situation in, with the Chargers. Um, and one other one that, that we both liked was the Patriots picking up Rashad Berry, right? Um, yeah, yeah. That just seems like a perfect landing spot. Perfect landing spot for him for, and his skill set. For a guy that needs developing. Anybody who's watched Ohio State during his time knew that this guy was a a physical freak that they they just couldn't quite unlock the full potential of. And I'm excited to see what new England does with them as well. For sure. And, you know, so, you know, talking about football, you know, university of Oregon, uh, the president basically came out and said that they think that they are going to be open this fall 
and they have all plans of being open with in-person classes, not distance learning. And that was kind of a bold announcement uh, at this stage. First of all, it's still April and there's still a lot of moving parts with this. I don't know if it was just an optimistic ploy or, or, or if it was just what he really, really believes based on the evidence that, that they've looked at. But, you know, I mean, that's, it's somewhat exciting. If you're a fo- from a f- football standpoint, let's just assume that that's true. Obviously, Ohio State plays at Oregon this fall. Um, what, what were your thoughts on that? And, you know, is, is he just is he being optimistic or is, is this a realistic thing you think can happen? I think a lot of people are feeling the pressure that um, this pandemic is creating. Look, Oregon is an educational institution, but they want their tuition, right? And mm-hmm. that tuition is what keeps the football program going. It's what keeps the school going, and that's what keeps a lot of people in paid positions. So I think you saw mm-hmm. this with the, with the crazy Las Vegas mayor, but what's happening is people's personal emotions and personal feelings are starting to come to surface as, as this mm-hmm. social distancing thing goes on. I think we're all feeling that pressure to kind mm-hmm. of just go back to normal. And, and and my concern really is is that I'm not hearing the things that I want to hear in terms of justifying us coming back to opening, right? Or, mm-hmm. or is is this is this virus becoming less contagious? Our mm-hmm. case is declining. It seems like we're not. I'm not hearing what I need to hear in terms. Well, cases of- are declining, but that's like we're. That doesn't mean okay. It's time to reopen, right? Because yeah, you know, if you to, for the people with the experts. Well, first of all, people don't can't even agree on who the experts are, right? So that's yeah. the one crazy thing. But for the people who I trust as experts, epidemiologists, the people in medicine, healthcare professionals. The things that they've been saying since the beginning, this is that they've never wavered from is we have to have an abundance of testing and multiple types of testing, right? Um, regular testing and antibody testing. We have to have some type of treatment. We have to have some type of acceptable quarantine measures, um, social distancing, and then obviously working towards a vaccine. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like we have any of those things. None, none of those boxes are checked, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing that's checked is that the, the cases, you know, at least, that we're testing are going down, which is good. That's great. But you want to go down, but you want to go all the way down and flatten that shit out. You don't want to go down and then go back up like we did in 1918 and a lot of other situations that have happened. I think we all need to kind of, it's a hard thing to just fully acknowledge and, and take in. But the best thing that could happen is even if we're socially distanced for a year is for this thing to go on for a year, right? Versus us reopening out of pressure and then suddenly us having another wave and another crisis, right? It's almost yeah. like we're revisiting the same nightmare from the outset again. That would piss me off, man. Look, yeah. I've, I've been cooped up in here and, you know, I've done my part, you know, and so when it's time to go, you know, trust me, I'm going to be ready to go. I'm not a person that's like, oh, I don't want to go, but yeah. I don't want to do exactly what you just said, which is open and then we have to shut again. And just go through this kind of cycle for an indefinite period of time. And again, nobody really knows the answer. I think at the end of the day, one th- there are a couple of things that you know aren't people aren't really clearly stating. And these are the leaders, right? One thing yeah. is that one is that we're not trying to, and this is just the reality. You're not trying to get rid of the virus. You can't get rid of it, right? It's it's here to stay. The question is, how do we get it to a point where it's manageable enough that it doesn't overburden the healthcare system? And honestly, the sad thing about it is what that means is. This is just another thing that, you know, another disease that people are going to die from, right? Yeah. Um, but can we get it to a point where we manage it? And so I think that message, people don't want to necessarily say that, but that is what is, is going to happen here. 
It's not like, oh, we're just going to get rid of it. The second thing is when you talk about reopening, reopening means different things to different people, yep. you know, um, and it means different things in different states. And there are also phases and there's also, you know, social distancing measures. It's not like, okay, yes, everything go back open. So, you know, Oregon, I, I think, I do believe that they've been uh, responsible for the most part. So I think that there's, there, there's a combination of things. I think there's, there's looking at the data that they feel like supports that by fall things should be able to happen with strict social distancing the best way they can in the classroom. Um, and then also, like you said, the economic pressure. And, and you know, that's, that's not unprecedented. If you look at like the NBA, for example, the NBA – they're opening up, you know, places that have opened kind of up a little bit. Um, they're opening up some of their practice facilities for their players starting May 1st. Yep. So I think that the reality is this. No matter when we open up, even if it's a year from now, this virus is, unless it just disappears, which other viruses have done that, but let's just assume it doesn't. There's always going to be some risk, right? So the question is, what's the acceptable amount of risk? And then number two, what, what measures are you putting in place to kind of make sure you minimize the risk when eventually you go back out there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's critical. And, and, and like we both said, I think it's fair for us to have the standard be some sort of reliable treatment at the very least, mm-hmm. not a, a fix, a treatment that we know consistently can manage this illness, which I haven't heard there is yet. And then also testing, right? Like the testing yep. has to be just at, at a high enough level and, and, advanced enough to where you can really accurately identify who in the population has this or has been exposed to it or who's gotten over it or whatever. And I don't think we're anywhere close to that yet, but hopefully, hopefully, you know, we get there soon. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk some music, man. Uh, You know, when, again, we talked about this probably on every show, but you know, one thing that's kind of come out of this quarantine is, you know, a new amounts of creativity. And there are a lot of artists that are, you know, artists that we've loved, for example, Babyface and Teddy Riley had their battle and other battles that we've seen. Um, now you're talking, you have Diddy and Dr. Dre potentially talking about doing a battle. And I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the, the whole thing about the battle is kind of funny. Like, I remember somebody asked me, like, why, why is this a big deal? You can just go listen to their music. You know, why do you yeah. have to watch their IG live? And it's like, well, this is kind of a new form of entertainment. And then also... Yeah. It's not, you know, without the quarantine, probably you'll probably never see two legends like that who like take the time and everybody, you're going to be hundreds of thousands of people tuned in. It's kind of an event now. Yeah. I mean, it is entertainment. There is a big difference between just listening to an artist's music and even going to an artist's concert and engaging with that mm-hmm. artist in a real way. One of the more dynamic ones I saw was Travis Scott incorporating, a, a he's always on the cutting edge of marketing, but incorporating mm-hmm. a show into Fortnite, which is the most popular yep. popular game. And I think also it offers an opportunity specifically of our generation. We always talk about these kids don't know how good it was in the nineties and two thousands. Right. But if you look at a lot of kids don't know who Babyface is or mm-hmm. who Teddy Riley is, but yeah. also, also people in, in the older demographic who grew up in those times weren't necessarily aren't necessarily as engaged in social media as the younger generation. As you look at the mm-hmm. number, they now this is giving them a reason to engage, right? And then yeah. you see somebody like Babyface; he's entertaining as hell. He's you. Nobody knew that he had this type of personality right. before, before this. Probably people who knew him 
but the yeah. general public didn't. Um, and, and the same thing for Teddy Riley. I think it's, it's another great way to take control of your platform and create entertainment. And, you know, we well, also, these guys created so many powerful moments for us. You know, when you're talking about yeah. Diddy and Trey, I mean, come on, man. Like, yeah. first of all, the other thing too, is I think that even for people who do know, it actually exposes kind of the catalogs of a lot of these guys, you know, and, and their, and their genius that they brought to music for decades, you know, over many, you know, Teddy Riley played a song by Jay-Z that he did. Yeah. Like, you know, who knew Teddy Riley was producing for Jay-Z? So I think it also just kind of, it's almost a history lesson there. And that's what I was looking for. And it's also the the way that this industry works, right? You're looking, one thing I took from the babyface Teddy Riley thing is that they were really watching each other, right? Mm-hmm. And, and following the trends that each of them were creating and yep. in ways helping their own genius get better by watching and learning from other genius, even though that's something that came out of this that I don't think is often talked about um, or would be talked about in any other format than if the two were just interacting in a natural natural pattern like that. Right. And speaking of genius, you have uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony and 3-6 Mafia also talking about doing a battle. I mean, <laughs> first of all, we, you and I, we're Bone guys and we're 3-6 Mafia guys. You yeah. know, but obviously we rep Bone because they're Ohio guys and, you know, we did a song with Busy Bone and, you know, but what do you think about that battle? Uh, I, I'm excited for it, right? I yeah. mean, um, I, I want to hear the music. I know all the music, right? But I want to hear the guys interact, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in the same way, like in that era, you know, what was 3-6 Mafia thinking about Bone? What was Bone thinking about 3-6 Mafia's music, you know? And then also like, you know, what influences, how did, the, you know, how did they influence each other? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's a critical era. You have some great personalities. And I think both of them um, t- in today could could also use a similar boost in terms of more people knowing uh, about them and also learning about them. And then also us all revisiting, you know, our kind of days and nostalgia. Yeah. Tear the club up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think as the longer this quarantine goes, um the longer, the more we'll kind of see these different battles. I guess one other question I have for you about these battles is kind of the business side of it, right? Because now there's a conversation about whether people should charge and whether brands should get involved and whether or not that's kind of going to kind of be the future, even after quarantine is broken, whether or not this is kind of a new wave of entertainment and its viability. So from a business standpoint, looking at it, how do you view the kind of the viability of this thing um, even after we move out of quarantine? It's funny, you know, our conversation with Luke, um, Shed, he made a very interesting point about how sometimes it's hard in capitalism for money not to eventually come into play. And it mm-hmm. usually comes into play as soon as something becomes popular, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes right. that can take away kind of the beauty of, yep. of something that grew organically, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, product placement is one thing, but that charge people and do things like that, it's like, they said that the streaming numbers for Babyface and Teddy Riley went up exponentially after the battle. Yeah, right. right that is right. a way to monetize. I'm always fearful. I'm a I'm a marketer and I'm I am a capitalist, mm-hmm. um, obviously. But I do think that there are certain things that you have to think about the value beyond just how am I going to make money off of this. And oftentimes yeah. that can be a mistake when you try to rush in. Figure I understand why the brands want to get involved. Why wouldn't you want to? 
figure out a way to get your brand involved in a live stream that's 600,000 or a million people. Well, same with the artist. If a brand yeah. comes and says, look, I'll give you 100,000 to wear this shirt, yep. you know, I mean, you know, but like you said, it, it's, 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 it's a, a catch 22, but I do think mm -hmm. that there is something beautiful about the social media platform when it is organic. Um, yeah. And as long as the guys are benefiting from it in some way, shape or form, right? Like, the, the level of which streams are going up, it's like, yeah, you listen to it, but you can't just go steal the song. You have to go on, on a medium and look up some of these classic songs or some of these songs mm -hmm. that these artists are playing and play them. There's something beautiful about that to me. And I do think cr avoiding rushing into monetizing things without having a proper plan um, can always be a mistake. Well, that, that point kind of segues perfectly into the kind of our next topic, which is Daishen Nick's who was a five-star commit that was a guard that was committed to UCLA. And he just recently decommitted from UCLA and now said that he's about to join the NBA G League. And as we recorded, uh, reported before, um, the other, one of the other players that's done that, his compensation package is going to be 500000 all the way up to potentially a million for that year. And, you know, it sounds good because it's like, yeah, these guys, you know, they're going to these universities, they're not making money. They are, you know, they're kind of making all this money for the university. They're not being paid. It's great that they have this option now where they can go immediately and start making a lot of money and, you know, start to protect their, you know, their, their families and all that type of stuff. Right. But the flip side, and this is what you and I were talking about a little bit earlier, and you kind of just mentioned this in the last segment was about understanding the overall value of that. How do you, so how do you evaluate that again, from a business standpoint, whether or not, these these are the right moves that these guys are making. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. You know, you you can never get into any individual family's um, situation, and you don't mm -hmm. know what's what's driving the decision. But yep. I think when you're overall thinking as an athlete or or any celebrity, you do have to think about both the short term and long term consequences mm -hmm. for your brand. Mm -hmm. And what I would hope is that the advisors that are around these guys are are evaluating this thing beyond just there's the the the, the blunt number right which is mm -hmm. 500,000 to go play in the G League but mm -hmm. you are probably going to some little town and the G League is not the NBA in terms of brand nobody's watching nobody's watching those games yeah, so right for example Zion Williamson going to Duke mm -hmm. he went there Duke has a loyal fan base deep rooted fan mm -hmm. base and then a university full of Cameron crazies that yep. are always going to be invested in Zion Williamson when he leaves mm -hmm. to go on to the NBA. They'll buy even his 50 shoes. years from now, even, even 50, 50 years, from, years now. from now, he can come the back and do autograph signing to make money. Right? The loyalty that you gain from playing for a major university is, is greater than any value you probably will get, especially with the landscape of how professional athletics works and how much, people move around and how rare it is for a person to stay in one place for their whole career. Right. Yeah. So this, this situation you have to evaluate what value overall is, is that going to create more than $500,000 in value annually for Zion Williamson? I would say yes. And I think you would say yes. Well, here's the other thing too. The other thing too, other part of this, like financially is, is insurance. Right. So I think yeah. part of the argument Again, this is just from a business standpoint, and I think yep. you made a very point, a good point that I think we should continue to reiterate, which is that you don't know the personal circumstances of each individual. 
you know, somebody could be paying for someone's cancer treatment, you know what I mean? They need the money now. So if that's the case, who cares about business analysis, right? But let's just take that out for a second and just talk about from a business standpoint, these guys have insurance. So if you're saying, oh, well, I don't want to go and hurt myself in a year where I could, you know, and I get hurt and then I can't play, uh, their insurance is probably going to be more money, five, probably in the 5 million range for a lot of, especially the top guys, a lot more money than this 500,000 they're getting from the G league. The um, of, but the flip side, a lot of loss of value, value. loss yeah. of value insurance. Yeah. And so um, I think a couple things, I think one is these guys are young, man. These guys are 18, you know, yeah. sometimes 17 making these decisions. You don't know who's advising them. You don't know if they have advisors at all, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's even even for us who are people who are professionals and who've been around this thing, it's hard to, you know, you have to take multiple layers and multiple steps to kind of put the, together the full picture of what does it mean? What does it mean to go to UCLA, for example? We're not talking about some small school. We're talking about big schools with big, you know, uh, alumni and, you know, tr- rich history and stuff like that. What does it mean to go to that school and invest, even though we agree they should be getting paid, right? But let's yep. just, that's not how it is now. What does it mean to go to that school and invest and now have that as part of your resume and part of your, you know, experience for the rest of your life um, versus saying, you know what, I'm going to skip that and go to the G League. Those are the type of analysis that need to be made. And I'm not sure how much they're being made, honestly. And specifically in big, big basketball, right? Because you do see these one and dones much more frequently um, in basketball and these guys having brands before they even enter college. That's Mm -hmm. where this personal personal image thing, the NCAA really needs to get this right because you do mm-hmm. want to make your institution attractive um, right. for these guys to come to. And I do think that it is valuable for guys to get um, exposure to, to college or at least some exposure to that before entering the pros. I do think it's, it's great for your mind beyond the money, but like you said, everyone's circumstances are different. Yeah, NCAA know, now knows that they have to compete with the NBA G League mm-hmm. for these guys, and hopefully it it makes them better, right? Well, the other thing too is like you know these guys have they've been hearing you know the stories and they've seen guys not get paid, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like, listen, man, I have an opportunity to make half a million dollars right now, you know, and and help my family, help my situation, and and work in the system, and already you know getting coached by coaches who are you know involved in pros like that's that's just it's just a good option and i think that the the key is and it's really on people like us to be honest is to kind of put it together and let these guys know what exactly the full picture is what is exactly it is that they're deciding you know because it like you said it sounds good right now but you have to think about short term and long term um last thing on news and notes let's talk about um the last dance we did obviously did a full recap of episode three and four um and we're looking forward to episodes five and six uh, talk a little bit, just give, you know, kind of a little bit of a short recap about how you felt about episodes three and four, and then also what you're looking forward to for five and six. Well, I'm I'm, I'm glad that they focused in on Dennis Rodman. I think he's one of the the more underappreciated basketball talents that we've ever had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because people know him for being his crazy off-the-court personality, but we really were able to gauge just how valuable he was and how unique mm-hmm. he was as a player, right? He literally did everything that a coach would want a player to do and care about. He didn't care about putting the ball in the bucket. He mm-hmm. cared about all of the things. And and through that, he became a Hall of Fame player 
without mm-hmm. focusing on the thing that people care about the most, which is scoring. Scoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think that he was also like you, you mentioned, I mean, he, he won, I mean, the rebounding title seven years in a row, including yeah. all the way up to age 36. You know, he, you know, we talked about Nobody this ever did that. no one's ever done that. No one's ever done that. And it'll probably never be done again. And then you also look at, you know, how he did it. Right. Cause I think, a lot of times, especially with athletes, you know, when people see great athletes and great pr- productivity, they just, a lot of times, I don't know if it's insecurity or what that drives people to think this, but they think it's just, these guys are just gifted naturally. And, you know, it's just, everything just comes natural to them. But if you actually watch that, I mean, that was probably the first time that he's probably really broken down. Like, no, I studied how the ball hit the rim based on who was shooting it. And I practiced every single angle. There was a genius to what he did. This wasn't like, oh, I'm just a talented guy with long arms. It was, no, there's actually a science to this thing. And I'm going to work my butt off to figure it out. So I agree with you hundred percent. I think it was great to see Dennis Rodman highlighted in a basketball sense. I think a lot of the news and uh, especially for younger people that we hear about him right now is, has nothing to do with basketball. So yeah. I thought that was, that was exceptional. Um, one, whatever, of the, one of the most self-aware people um, that we've seen in sports, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Five and six, it looks like we're going to see Kobe in five. Um, that's what people are saying. Um, again, I, like I said before, I'm very sad that he's not here with us to kind of live tweet this thing. And I'm sure his commentary would be exceptional. And, and, um, but at least that we know he's going to be a part of it. Um, what else are you, are you looking for? Obviously, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. What else are you looking forward to in, in uh, upcoming episodes? I'm just enjoying the show, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've watched the first four episodes multiple times. You see the hat that I got on. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. it's, it's, this is nostalgia, man. Like uh, the posters in my room were all Michael Jordan bulls and Browns. And like, it's just to, to, to revisit that, especially in time like this to bring back happy emotions and happy feelings. I think for a lot of us who grew up with that team, um, it's just, it's just helping us. Right. Well, and I think that's what's great, too, is that, you know, for for us, you know, our generation, um, this time period, and we talked about this even earlier today, is just about like the quarantine, what it's provided. It's essentially provided us the time to just look back and reflect on a lot yeah. of different things, you know. So obviously, like the battles that we talked about with famous producers and, and obviously the last dance and even for us having Eric Metcalf, I mean, one of our childhood heroes on the show and being able to reflect about, you know, what that was what it was like back then. I think um, this last, the last dance has obviously provided that for us. You know, if you grew up in the nineties or you're around, you couldn't escape the bulls. I don't care if you weren't a basketball fan or not, you couldn't escape it. It was no, like, it was like the Beatles, you know? Yep. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to too. Like you said, it's just continuing to learn the stories that we probably haven't heard to, for them to continue to go into depth that we probably haven't seen. I'm interested in hearing about what exactly happened between Horace Grant and Michael Jordan, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, they, they started to tease that a little bit. Yeah. Seems like we'll hear more about that. And then, obviously, also, I would like to hear how, you know, you know, continue to hear more about why Jerry Krause just did what he did and broke up that team. I mean, there are people that they love for what he did, but they'll never forgive him for letting it end that way. So I think they'll continue to dive into those aspects as well. Definitely. Yep. You're listening to Pilot Boys Podcast, episode 26. That's all we have for news and notes. Also want to give a major shout out to Premier Podcast for helping us set up our home studio during this quarantine period. You guys got to check them out, man. Go to their website, premierpodcast.com. 
they're helping out during this shutdown with free 30-minute coaching sessions to help anyone get their podcast started. And also follow them on social media at Premier Podcast. That's all we have for today's show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Big thanks to our guest, Luke Fickle. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And follow at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter, at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music, and V is at The Swan. Don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out! Pilot Boys, we get on up. We gon' fly, boys, we get up. Pilot Boys, we get